Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Mohamed Syed, lead strategist at Carruthers and Jackson, a data consultancy. Mohamed has been writing data mesh content since early 2021 and has been an active member of the community almost since founding. You can find a link to his latest piece in the show notes as well. Per Mohamed, data governance in data mesh is a very is very different to doing data governance for either a data lake or a data warehouse. The warehouse has a focus on high-level quality and usability, but at the expense of context and agility. Data lake is about metadata and lineage, but at the severe expense of usability, schema and query is very much not fun for consumers and, and often quality as well. For most data organizations, governance has been very macro-focused up until now, governing the data warehouse or lake as a whole. This is part of why we think that data governance has become a major bottleneck. The focus is on managing at that macro level, but the individual requests are the micro. You know, they're, they're for access to specific things. And those are much harder to answer if your entire org is set up to deal with the macro instead of the micro. In data mesh, governance can shift to being about maximizing the value of data instead of mostly about preventing risk and access control and things like that. Of course, there's a balance between local maximization, the value of each data product, and global maximization, the value at the overall data mesh level. A key focus to data mesh governance is enabling, especially enabling the domains to govern their own data products. Mohammed made the point that you need to enable your domains by creating the technical and business definitions of a good data product. Then the governance team needs to teach teams about the quality definitions, such as data product consumability. There's a need for policies, of course, but mostly focus on frameworks to enable policy creation and enforcement. Again, Data Mesh is about decentralizing that data governance. That's one of the pillars. Mohammed emphasized the quote-unquote good data product definition leads to the separation of 
data quality and data product quality. A data product might be more valuable for other reasons or less costly, so it has a higher return on investment by having relaxed data quality standards. In a data warehouse implementation, there is really only a single definition of quote unquote good quality, but that just won't do in a data mesh. We really need to develop better frameworks for what data quality means at the micro level in data mesh. I think this shift in thinking slash framing and the nuance of understanding the differences between general data quality and a high quality data product are really key. There is this historical requirement that doesn't work for all data to be fully correct at all times. This has kind of been the thing around data warehouse. It's either correct or it's not versus thinking about that service level agreement. What What is a good correctness level or a good freshness level or whatever? We need to be able to relax constraints to meet the most pressing needs for a data product. If every aspect has to adhere to this, you know, pie in the sky, five nines type of quality, your data mesh will probably fail. Figure out what are the most important things and communicate where you might fall short for each data product. That should be documented so people can really understand what they're looking at and what they're trying to leverage and if it meets their needs. A key point Mohammed made was that I think really, really rings true. Governance only works with informed governors. So you must teach your domains to govern properly. Transparency is also key to make data governance work. To get data governance right, strategy and maturity are crucial. What are you actually trying to accomplish? Data mesh for the sake of data mesh is worthless, just like any other paradigm. This is the first in the series of what will probably be a significant number of interviews around data governance, because I think it's a topic that is not all that well understood or covered relative to data mesh. And I think this is a really, really good jumping off point and that you'll get a lot out of this and kind of be prepared for future episodes as well. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for this episode today. We've got Mohammed Syed here, who's the uh, a lead strategist at Carruthers and Jackson, who's a um, consulting company in the data space. So a lot of people would probably be familiar with um, the, the founders who are very kind of famous in the data literacy space. We're looking to talk about um, data governance in general today and uh what that means, but especially enablement and quality or driving enablement and enabling quality uh, data products to really emerge. And uh, that we're talking about flipping that script from governance being the kind of um, doom word of the uh, the gatekeepers versus the uh, enablers. So uh, Mohammed, uh, you know, has been 
part of the community and has been uh, very helpful for a lot of folks for, for quite a while. So I, I think this is going to be a great conversation. So if you don't mind uh, giving people a little bit of a, an introduction to yourself and your background, and then we can jump in. Yeah, no, definitely. And th- thanks for inviting me onto a new podcast. I, I'm, I'm already a listener. So, and it's, uh, and thanks for inviting me into the community in the first place. Actually, it was great. I think I got involved about a year ago or something when some of the conversations yeah. were going on. I think, I think you found me on LinkedIn and just said, Hey, do you want to join? And, you know, fantastic to kind of get to know everyone. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for, for myself, I mean, I've, I've been involved in data for, 15 odd years something like that um and i actually started off in my career in in finance um sort of building excel models and building dashboards etc and it's been a bit of a slow progression for me through the kind of data space um and then you know these days i'm more focused on sort of ideas like mesh and digital transformation and things like you know talking to iot startups etc but there was a big period of my life where data governance and data management was the kind of the main thing that I did, particularly in regulatory context. So it's been kind of interesting to me to see this this new mesh concept come along and then have to kind of go back and go, okay, is, is, is data governance the same thing or actually is there's a, there's a really big change happening here? And I've noticed within the community there's a big conversation about that. So, yeah, it would be really good to get into it today. Awesome. And and. Uh, you know, one aspect I think that could be really helpful for folks that you you had teed up. I don't want to take it, uh, credit for this, but talking about how governance works in kind of the data warehouse and how that's been different to Lake, and then how we want to think about what's been useful and, and what can we throw out <laughs> uh, relative to when we move that towards a mesh. So I think that's a great a great place to jump in. I don't know if you want to start from the enablement or the quality side or, or how you want to talk about that, but I think that's a, a really good jumping off point. Yeah, totally. I mean, th- this is a this is a conversation I've been having with other people in the governance space, um, talking to them about data mesh and and very much trying to challenge the mentality of yeah, but it's basically data governance, right? It's the same thing. We kind of do it the same way, and actually thinking about well. Actually, a mesh is a very different thing to a warehouse, and a warehouse is a very different thing to a transactional system, and that's a very different thing to a lake house. And yes, the objective of data governance is fundamentally similar around enablement, security, and, and increasing the quality. But actually, the the need for governance and how you do it has kind of evolved quite a lot. So, and, and it, it, we should probably think about how it needs to evolve to support mesh as well, kind of going forward, right? So. If you think about, you know, back in the 60s and you had these transactional systems, so you've got like a database just recording transactions, you're not doing very much with that data. And so like the objective of governance back in back in those days is kind of how do I make sure this database is secure and how do I make sure my data is getting captured properly? And, you know, the, the use of the data is very closely tied to the system because all it is is sort of recording accounting transactions, right? You move into a warehouse and you've got data coming in from 20 places and there's a whole layer of business logic on top of that. And suddenly it's not just a security concern, it's a quality concern or it's a usability concern. So the role of data governance in warehousing is to say, well, how do I make sure that all this data gets curated into something good from a central place that people can use? And it's not just about security, it's about the quality and usability of the data and kind of who owns it because it's coming from different places. And then if you move into a, a lake, it really becomes about metadata and about lineage because you're saying now I've got all this data, which is coming from inside, outside. It's not specifically curated. It's just kind of there. 
there could be a huge benefit, but there could be a huge risk, right? And so when you then move into lakes and lake houses, the concern and objective of governance kind of became more about metadata and lineage and origin and what does this data mean and how can I use it and what's its permissions, et cetera. And then when you go into mesh and you move into a world of data products, right, and different people are building different products and they're making them accessible to other people, the role of governance is really different, right? Because, yes, security is still a concern, but I think the role of data governance then comes, well, how do I put a layer of behavior and process and control and education around my mesh implementation to make sure people churn out usable data products, right? So one of the conversations I've been having with like the data management community and my kind of colleagues there is to go, actually, I don't think you can do data governance in the same way in a mesh model as you would in a warehouse, because the objective of a warehouse is very different to the objective of a mesh. And the the, the way in which people build products and the way you manage data is very different. So you've got to kind of update your approach, right? Right. And, and I think there's the micro and the macro level when it comes to data mesh governance, because it's um, what is the governance for each individual data product of what, what, what do you have to have from a documentation standpoint? What do you have to like, what's your SLAs? What's your quality? What, what do you need to actually have from uh, metadata that you're sharing all, all these, these kind of rules around a specific data product. And then, you know, there's the security concern and, and that, but then it's also, the governance aspect around um, the uh, greater mesh entity, right? That's the macro level. The micro yeah. is each data product and the macro is, okay, how do we make this so that the quality matters, right? <laughs> that, that it's not just high quality data silos. It's that we can make it interoperable, that we can do all these different things. So um, there, there's a lot to, to kind of dig into there. Um, where where do you think is is kind of the most interesting place to start? Do you think of this as, um, you know, if you're thinking about like a proof of concept, you probably want to start with the micro level and saying, yeah. hey, let's figure out what a, a quality data product looks like. So like, how do you think about getting going there? And, and how do you think about yeah. that, that conversation of, hey, we're no longer gatekeeper, we're enabler, and, and we have to completely rethink this so that people don't get uh, analysis paralysis of going, oh, we have to reinvent data governance. Oh, we have to completely throw everything out from scratch. So this is going to take us a year. It's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's, it's really more, it's it's mindset and it's, it's adapting. Like, you know, existing stuff like policies, framework, you're still going to do that. But I think as you're saying, there, there's a different kind of way of approaching it. And the way you describe it of macro, micro, that's actually a really helpful way of thinking it because data governance tends to be a bit macro, Right. So if I think about warehousing, for example, we brought our data in, we built this warehouse, put it into an architecture, et cetera. And it was very much now we're going to come and we're going to govern this thing. We're going to put a layer of governance and control around it. Whereas in a data mesh, it's it's very dispersed, right? Different domains are building data products and those data products together in the aggregate create the macro view. Right. So I think you definitely have to start at the micro level and, and you've almost got to go. I'm not governing one thing from a distance in a central place. I'm actually helping lots and lots of different teams working in a very agile fashion to build data products that are highly secure, highly improbable, really high quality, really discoverable, right? And I think if you if you therefore started with one product, the fundamental question for me would be to go, what's the definition of a really good product, right, first of all? 
right? So, so there's obviously the technical definition of scalability, performance, all that sort of stuff. But there's also kind of a business definition of a high quality product, which is useful, clear, um, you know, accessible. You know, it's it's useful. There's definitions, all the rest of it, right? Um, and how do I set up that individual team within that domain to kind of build and maintain a high quality product, right? Because in a mesh model, there's not one team that's responsible for managing the organization's data. Each domain is responsible for managing their own data and serving it up as a product, right? So I can't go there with the attitude of, I'm here to implement data governance. Here's my really big program. Here's a thousand policies. <laughs> Actually, I've got to go there with a mentality of, Yes, there's some policies and some principles, but really it's more about frameworks, right? It's more about attitudes. It's more about literacy. So it's more about me coming into your domain, let's say in marketing and going, okay, you guys are building data products. Well, a good quality product looks like this. These are the type of behaviors that should be part of your release cycles. You know, if you've got engineers working in them, actually part of your engineering responsibility is testing data quality and this sort of stuff. So I think it's more about education starting at the micro level and dispersing kind of data management resources into the development of those products, if that makes sense. And hopefully that then allows you to build this macro view, right? Which is quite unique to the mesh. Yeah, I think... I'm not sure if that made any sense. <laughs> no, I, well, and I think it does because I think what you're talking about is that governance goes from we control to we enable and and that you know that's kind of a generic thing to say but at the same point it is about like I, i've talked about this even with with access controls which we we're, we don't want to <laughs> rat hole on that but you don't want to expose access control uh decisions or access control software to domains you want to expose mm-hmm. access control decisions two domains, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's the the point. That's like the, the macro mesh level of saying, hey, we need to make this so that there is a uh, an easy capability for you to uh, create the data products, to manage, maintain them, to make them interoperable, all of that. But that you you can come to us as a backstop if you have questions. We're here. Like if you've got GDPR mm-hmm. questions, we're not going to say you have to learn all of GDPR. That's stupid. That's that's no. the, the, that's the centralization decentralization. Like we're we're not going to say, we're going to say hey you here's when you should come to us when you're confused. But we're also going to trust you and here's the the capabilities to do that. So I think that plays into a lot of this. Of governance needs to uh, to let trust. go of some. Yeah, let's go of some of the control so that they can they can have that trust. But how, how do you think somebody in a high regulatory environment? How do you think about actually being able to trust that? Because you know there is a lot. You, you know, with GDPR, I, I I feel like there aren't a lot of companies that are getting fined for um, if they made a mistake, right? Versus if somebody was like intentionally didn't put in the effort to to do this stuff but oh something got coded a little bit wrong or whatever i'm not seeing that people are really going after them maybe i'm wrong but that's that's kind of the thing but like high regulatory environments it's been hey we have to do this stuff otherwise we're going to get fined majorly Hmm. so how do you how would you go and talk to somebody about like this is a new approach 
Yeah, I mean, so so I, I think your, your example about the regulatory environment is kind of interesting, right? Because if you compare businesses facing regulatory challenges and, and those that, that, that don't, right? So in the case that those that don't, the mesh or the idea of data for them is really about value, right? And so you're really going to them with a value conversation saying, look, if you really want to exploit the value of your data, you need this sort of decentralized model, lots of data products. The role of data governance is to help maximize the value of that data and the value and usability of those products. In a regulatory context, the mindset of the business tends to be more about protection. And so decentralizing anything can be quite a difficult conversation. The, the way I would approach that is to go, ultimately, governance only works with informed governors, right? As in the people making those decisions around the data, whether it's access, quality, definition, whatever, they have to be the experts in that data. And one of the challenges you tend to find in any data governance implementation is you tend to have, I think, what you described as sort of central teams dictating to the rest of the business about use this policy or follow this standard. Now, in a regulatory environment, you could argue that there's more case for that, right? So your data governance team might lay down some hard and fast rules, right? Lay down some policies and some some general standards around kind of who should have access to what. But I actually think that the case for a more domain-driven model of governance is is actually very strong in the regulatory space as well because what, what you're fundamentally trying to do is teach domains and teach those data owners how to manage their own data which ultimately is to go to data governance anyway <laughs> right? right so it can be a difficult conversation conceptually to breach because you're talking about decentralizing in a very high risk environment which is not easy to do but there's a very strong case there i think still to go actually we're not talking about letting people do whatever they want we're talking about making our governance stronger by productizing our products, our data, excuse me, so that you know we, we control it and we know who has access to it, and actually teaching that domain to properly govern its data by teaching them what a good product is, what access requirements are, et cetera. Right. So it might be difficult to breach the conversation, but I think there's a there's an argument there that it leads to an even better outcome in highly regulated industries, if you think of it like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, there's this whole thing about, oh, this is just chaos. We're just trying to get everybody to um, learn everything themselves. And it's like, no, it's, it's like, but, you know, uh, when you think about like the depth of data governance or whatever, that if there's 10 layers, it's pretty easy to teach people the first three or four layers, right? <laughs> and be yeah. like, hey, is this PII or could this be used to back into PII? Like, could this be used to identify somebody? Are we in a regulated space where we have to control that? And like that stuff, it's it. it so when you're having these types or, or when you would have these types of conversations, I know you, you, you've worked um, at least on, on um, one or two deployments of, of data masher implementation. So like, who do you think has the, uh, the harder time with flipping this switch of governance from uh, control to enablement of like, how do you think about, uh, is it the domains are going, hey, yeah, you're giving us the the agency to make our decisions. And they're like, okay, yeah, we're, we're good with this if you enable us. And the, the, the governance team is like, I don't want to give up control. Or are you seeing it the other way around? Or how, how have you seen that kind of typically evolve? To be honest, it depends how much governance there already is in the business. So so if you're going into a business that historically doesn't have much data governance and, and, and the domains in the business are really excited about data, 
they've now got lots of autonomy, right? They've got access to cloud services. They've got engineers. They've got access to open data. They've got everything they need in their areas to build data products. And they're not going to wait and ask for your permission, right? Um, so, so, so they're out there. They're building all the stuff, but kind of without saying it, they're sort of assuming that there's someone out there called the director of data governance or the data governance team that apparently is going to, and I've heard expressions like, oh, they're going to solve data governance across the board. And you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> Are they going to manage everybody's data products? So if you've got an environment where data governance isn't historically a big thing, but there's lots of excitement around data mesh and people are going out and building products, then actually your approach there is to go, well, look, I'm not acting as a blocker. You're already wanting to build these products. I'm trying to create a capability, which is actually embedded within your domains to teach you how to manage this stuff well, because otherwise you run the risk of exposing data, et cetera. That's a different conversation to a business where they have data governance and they have a warehouse, for example, or a lake or whatever. They have a certain way of doing things. And in that conversation, you're saying to the existing data governance people that actually we can't treat data governance as trying to contain or manage a central sort of castle, if you like, where your role is to keep all the data within that thing and keep it safe. Because actually going forward, we need to decentralize, we need to allow domains to explore and use data. So in that case, it's more a case of changing the mindset of the data governance people. Whereas in the latter case, where it's a bit more greenfield and the business already off building stuff, it's more of an education piece to those domains to go, look, I'm creating this new data governance capability. That's not a central thing. I'm not here to block you. Actually, I'm really on board with this decentralized operating model, and I'm trying to weave myself into that to help you build better better products, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, and I think there, there's a couple of different ways we could go uh, forward on the, on the conversation. When I think about enablement, there a big issue that I have within data mesh uh, uh, of there's a whole lot of technologists and especially people that have historically lived on the data side. They've been sold, here's what you have to do. Here's the solution you have to buy. So when you think about that um, enablement, a lot of people try and go for technologies instead of people process and pretty much everything yep. with data mesh. People are trying to buy their way to, well, especially in the US, this is a, a big, big thing in the US, but buying their way to <laughs> to solving Nevada. their problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so how do you think about flipping that script and, and where people can measure the difference between that about like, are they, how, like, how do you actually enable the teams? Is it so much more about creating the, the just creating tooling to reduce friction, but training, 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 and it's people process? Or do you think that there are solutions emerging where you, you can cover a lot of the white space with solutions or kind of standardized techniques versus everything has to be kind of custom built? Yeah, I mean, there's technologies out there to solve certain problems, right? You have data cataloging tools, you have data lineage tools, you have tools that control kind of API access. And so there are some technologies, but I would always advocate that ultimately it's people who work with data and it's people who own data, right? It's people consuming products, it's people building products. I, I always think, and this could just be my bias of not coming from an engineering background, but coming from a governance background, is that people process for me is, is always key, right? Because um, ultimately, you know, you, you, know you, you can go and give 
the absolute best technology to different domains, to different engineers, different people, etc. It doesn't mean at a macro level you're going to have a mesh, right? The only way you're going to have this great interoperability between all these products is if people understand roles and responsibilities related to those products. They understand good behavior. Engineers understand where they're supposed to catalog their data so other people can use it. People understand how data products get published and what's supposed to be made available vis-a-vis metadata, etc. None of that's technological. Right, it's it's all people process, right? And and in other architectures, you don't necessarily have to do that because you know there's a group of four or five people sat around the warehouse, kind of running it, or there's a, a dedicated center of excellence engineering team. If you read some of Jamek material, which I know you have even better than I have, right? She talks about how you know all those engineers get crunched in the middle, and now when you decentralize, it's actually a different operating model. Well, that operating model for the mesh, that decentralized operating model requires a highly literate workforce in what they're building, right? Because it's not one COE anymore, right? Yeah. And, and that's that's how I think data governance really changes at a mesh model is about, it's, as you say, enablement, but it's enablement through literacy, good practice, behavior, support, teaching, et cetera, et cetera, and, and recognizing it's a journey, right? Which is a very big change for data governance professionals. And I'm going to put you on the spot here with what I think is actually a really, really, really difficult question to answer. So if you don't have a perfect answer, that's totally fine. But how do you figure out which is when when to go with technology and when to go with the people process side, right? Like, because we, we to scale, we do need to have, I mean, there are scalable people process aspects, but to scale, we need to, to reduce some friction via the technology. So like, how do you think about, talking to somebody about, you know, there, there aren't hard and fast rules, but there are kind of frameworks for thinking about, hey, we can solve this more with technology, or we can supplement this, enhance this with technology, versus everything has to be a people person conversation, because that that just becomes not scalable. Yeah, you uh, see, for me, and, and this is going to be the answer of, of somebody who's very much a strategist, <laughs> right? <laughs> which is you always go back to purpose. And, and so the two things we always talk about in Carl Jackson is kind of strategy and maturity, right? So strategy is kind of what's the purpose? Like what are you, what are you trying to achieve short-term, long-term? And then maturity is kind of where, where are you capability-wise? Uh, and I think when a business kind of moves into mesh, it would start technologically because I think it would start by experimenting with new technologies and engineering concepts and trying to build products in, in, a, in a more domain-centric way. It, would, it might even be the engineers and the architects leading the move towards mesh, and so necessarily it's, it's a technological kind of first piece, right? But then once you hit a point where you go, okay, technologically I can build stuff, but it doesn't mean that any of those data products are actually useful. It doesn't mean any of that data is secure. It doesn't mean I understand the customer. It doesn't mean I have the ability to actually manage those new data products in kind of BAU. I, I, I don't have all the sort of people process. That's when I think it, it, it comes in, right? So I, I don't think it's an either or. I can imagine a lot of mesh implementations starting technologically because they're driven by architects and engineers who are really excited about the, the idea of building sort of microservices like data products. But very quickly, I think people process will become the dominant thing of, of kind of how do you go from, as you said, micro level to macro level, that move from micro to macro is a people process thing. Because at a micro level, you can, at a micro level, you can build 
useful products to some extent, particularly if they're simple products. Once those products become complicated, as in they have complex logic, complex user requirements, the need for governance and good behavior around those individual products becomes a lot more. But then moving from micro to macro, where you've actually got lots and lots of data products, well, that's entirely people process. Because without the people process aspect, who owns it? Who signs off on it? Who's responsible for things getting done the right way? Who's defined, Who's responsible for de- defining the definition of done from an enterprise perspective as opposed to an individual engineer's perspective? Once you go to that and you start aspiring to a macro mesh, it all becomes people process for me. Yeah, that could just be my background. <laughs> well, and and I was working on it for a while, and I never really got very far with it. But I, I was working on the SCAE, which was Scott's confusing ass equation, which <laughs> was basically <Sure. laughs> what is the incremental value of each individual data product versus the value in the greater mesh scheme. So, like that, yeah. the greater mesh is the interoperability, and that you know, yes high quality data products are valuable in and of themselves. That That's kind of one of the key tenets that Jumac has, has said for a long time, but that the value becomes the interoperability. It becomes that you're able to really drive further insights rather than just, you know, because we're kind of able outside of mesh. If we push the ownership to the domains to just share better quality of their data. Mm. We we could do that with kind of what people used to think of as the domain data mart, but that it's actually designed to be usable by outside parties and that there's access. But that's not data mesh, right? Because that interoperability ends up being very, very key. So, um, so uh, you know, we, we've talked through some of the enablement side uh, I really do want to talk about the data quality side because I think that was something sure. that that you, we you brought up before we started kind of recording and, and I think like let's again look at it micro macro like what would you say are the things that make that quality discussion how would you actually talk to somebody about that quality discussion because there is the is this high quality data is very different from is this a high quality data product, right? It may be that that the high that the data quality is actually not all that high, but it's actually a very high quality data product because it's um, processing things with a a certain speed. And so you you know you think about something like Kafka, and I, the the book on Kafka has literally an entire chapter on what exactly once means which exactly once you're like, well, that just means one time and not more than one time, but perfect, you know, not not zero times, not more than one times, one times. And it's like, no, there's actually an entire chapter on the definition of what this means. So like there's the the like very, very nitty gritty specifics, but there's also the like, is this usable? quality and so how, how do you yeah. think about separating those and then again popping it up to the higher mesh level so again there's 17 questions in there yeah is, yeah let's, <laughs> tack, let's tackle it one by one if we can but i think you did so so your separation of data quality and product quality is really really interesting actually because again if i think about where i learned data governance it was in that, in that warehousing context but there was only one use for the data right the whole point was these data assets these tables etc 
have to come in to make this warehouse work. There's a certain way it works. There's a certain set of reports that come out. There's a certain data model that has to be supported, right? And so you you tend you tended to think of data quality very much against one use case, against a set sort of requirement, uh, and and you treated it a bit like a program. So people thought, talked about data quality programs. I'm going to come in. I'm going to define what good is once, and I'm going to deliver against that. And it's all going to be about checking rules, etc. And, and that's kind of how it works, right? Um, and actually, when you think about data quality in the context of a mesh, well, high, the same data set could be high quality for one product, but not for another, right? So one data product might just need to get that data and do something very simple, which is make it visible. Another data product might need exactly that same data asset with a lot higher standard of data, a lot greater frequency, a lot, you know, lot more robust, etc. So I think what's interesting about the mesh is putting aside the product just at the data level, the definition of good quality at a data asset level, not product level, is actually very contextual, right? Uh, one team working on a data product on data set A has a very different definition of what quality means for that data versus another team working on product B on exactly the same data set, right? So I think what first changes is you have to start thinking of data quality very contextually. Uh, and that's where that sort of education piece comes in because you've got to go to product team A and go, look, quality in general means this. There's nine things we tend to look at, timeliness, completeness, accuracy, et cetera, right? Here's a framework for figuring out what quality means in the context of your product. What are the types of things you might consider? What are the things we typically test? Apply that to think about what quality means for your product and bake those tests in for your product, Right. When you go to team B, it's a very different conversation because quality means something kind of very, very different for that product, right? So that's kind of the first thing is, is you know, the definition of whether a set of data is good is completely contextual on the individual products at the micro level, which is very different to a different type of architecture. Right? So that's not true of warehousing, for example, right? Because you're, you're bringing it into one thing, right? Um, the other thing I think is it's it's a continuous process, Right. So the definition of quality can change over time. So the iteration one of a product could be, oh, this data is good enough, right? Once that product starts reaching, reaching a certain level of usage and business users go, oh, that's interesting, you start getting feedback from users going, oh, yeah, but, but, but there's, you know, sometimes this field is empty or sometimes this doesn't match with that, et cetera, right? Yeah, so, so, that, so then what kind of happens is it's, you have to think of data quality as a continuous process. So rather than thinking of governance and therefore quality as a program of we're going to go and we're going to fix the data and we're going to then put some rules around it that we just monitor, you have to teach those product teams, those engineering teams, that data quality is a continuous concern because as your product itself becomes used more and evolves more, the definition of good is going to change. So again, going back to that literacy piece, it's almost like I have to teach the product teams as the head of governance how to manage their data quality or think of data quality as a continuous kind of endeavor. And then finally, and this I think this is then answering your question, is when you then come up to the product level, it's not just about the data being good. Because as you say, a quality product is discoverable, it's accessible, it updates at the right frequency, it's, it, it, it kind of packages up all the services to, to the user, not just the data, right? So another really interesting conversation is just because you've got high quality data in the abstract, there, there's a different question of whether your product is a high quality product. And that often has to do with things like technical quality, has to do with things like consumability, has to do with things like how often it's accessed and used, et cetera. So there's a really big education piece, I think, that 
the governance or quality people have to do with those product teams to go, what are all the different aspects of quality as far as a product is concerned? And how do you think of that as a sort of continuous set of activities? Because as your product matures, your definition of quality is going to change. Right? Yeah. Like, uh, so, you know, I'm taking notes. I, I love this pen, right? This, this version of a pen is awesome, right? For me. Uh, writes really well. It just flows well. It's easy to use, blah, blah, blah. So the quality for me relative to writing is very high. But if I'm trying to cook, this is not very useful in trying to, no. to cook, right? <laughs> and it's so, for soup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I kind of want to try that just to try it, if just, but not really. Um, but uh, exactly. And, and that there is that quality as well in the greater mesh level, right? Of this may be very, very useful, but in and of itself, but the interoperability as well as it becomes a, a big, big, uh, challenge. And, and so, you know, uh, Emily Gorsinski had done a, um, a webinar. She's at ThoughtWorks and she had done a webinar uh, a while back about um, talking about that there was a need at one customer for the same exact data product, the same exact data, but one had a very like liveness, you know, of, hey, this is, is every bit of data, you know, it, if it's happened, unless it's greater than, or in, if it's greater than five minutes ago, it's in here, right? But our quality measure of it is much lower. You know, it's 99% quality versus we have one that's, hey, if it's happened more than an hour ago, it's in here. And that that, um, uh, and that quality level is 99.99% or whatever. And that, Quality is also about like communicating. What what does this actually mean? Because that's the quality product of of the the documentation and things like that. And we need to get towards auto documentation and things where people can actually supplement it where this matters. And and you know I've been doing some uh, deep dives into data contracts and things like that because mm. the there there needs to be some communication about quality and we need to provide that tooling like a lot of what you said of the testing frameworks as well for the the data product teams so that they can actually they if this is all manual for the data product developers the uh, you know the domain teams it becomes very very uh you know just way way too much work to do versus we need to provide the tooling to reduce the friction, but we need to provide the training so that we even also can get the information about where there's friction, yeah, like yeah, yeah. that they're not just frustrated. Yeah. They can actually tell you, you know, it's, it's like trying to learn to communicate with like a two or a three-year-old. Like there, there's this <laughs> thing about using buttons so that they don't actually have to use yeah. their own words. And so they can use buttons to communicate kind of hungry or whatever, and that they don't have to like process it into their own words. Like, I don't have a great analogy around that. I don't want to say that domain teams are are two-year-olds or whatever, but that, that we need to figure out better ways to share information about this stuff, not just, you know, it, it kind of share information about trying to share information. Yeah, no, no. I mean, there's a, there's a, what's interesting there is kind of, if let's say I'm a consumer and I come to a data product, 
if you've published this, there's some kind of attestation from you that this is a high quality product, right? But I don't know how you've defined quality, right? Like how, how how have you defined quality and what have you done to assure yourself that it meets that definition? Because your definition of quality might have been for consumer A, but not for consumer B, for example, right? So there's something about whether it's through metadata or cataloging or whatever it is, making available information of this product was designed for this use case. What what assurances we've done is this because these are the things we we think matter when validating the data that's being provided, and then I as a consumer can make a conscious decision about oh do, but do I think that's reliable? <laughs> Am I happy to build something off that, or do I come to you and go could you release a V two or another version of this product or whatever? And again, that's where that's where governance comes in, right? Because I think the whole point about governance is to go you've published it, but from a consumability perspective as a consumer. Have you given the attestation or the clarity on what you've done to do that, right? Uh, and that's kind of where I think, as you say about engineers being two-year-olds, it's kind of well, I've built it, right? <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's it's kind of useful, right? That's kind of where the governance, kind of behind the scenes within the domain, comes in to sort of teach them to go. Actually, have you done everything you need to do to actually make this consumable to people who haven't seen it before, right? Well, it's it's enabling people to share a language it's and and so i i think um a lot of what you're talking about as well you know jamak has, has kind of said do we really need to publish data lineage and a lot of people are like what are you talking about of course we do and it's like well do we if we have the trust right it's it's really about enabling it so that people can use the data right and so that's usability as in can I understand what it is? Can I can I trust it? And that trust isn't just like, it, does it meet these quality specifications? It's can I understand what this is? Do do I understand that this isn't going to change from out underneath me? You know, the repeatability, all that stuff. So, like, how do we engender that trust when historically the relationship between data consumers and data producers has been a very very contentious one with very low trust? Mm-hmm. So I think. We, we have a high bar of, that we have to meet for a long time before we can get to that trust. It's not, a, a, you know, it's fool me once, you know, shame on, on you, fool me twice, shame on me. It's like, okay, I've been shamed 800 times, so no, I'm not going to trust you. <laughs> Right, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to immediately have that trust. So, like, how we get towards that trust is is a difficult question. But I think that's where if we can have more of that information flow about, yes, th- these are the the ten aspects that we're going to talk about, or the seven, or whatever. I don't know if you've got like uh, a specific framework around that, but like, what what does trust actually mean? And and I've been talking a little bit about this, um, about the word usability. And, you know, I put out, uh, I don't know if you ever read, I put out this like 15 page rant thing that I put out in, in one day. And it was the worst edited thing of all time. Cause they literally just said, this won't be edited now or ever. If anybody wants to take this and, and put it into something that humans can actually consume easily do it. But um, usability is, not just can I get access to it and and can I uh, actually use it? It's, it's can I trust it? Can I understand it? Can I know that it's going to be there when I come back for it and all that? You know, I think 
I was just going to check on that. I think transparency is really key there, right? And I don't know if you've come across um, Laura Madsen at all. She wrote a really book I really enjoyed called sort of Agile Data Governance, I think it was. And it was a whole thing about, you know, people traditionally sit in functions and silos and it's like, it's your job to do that and it's your job to do that. And everyone's really kind of defensive about it. Whereas I think the whole point about usability is is to introduce more transparency to go, yeah, okay, iteration one isn't hugely usable. Now you give us feedback on that, right? And let's work together to make it more usable, right? And it's it's that sort of expectation setting and getting, and, and that's exactly what agile DevOps culture is about, right? It's moving away from blame towards collaboration, towards openly recognizing that, yeah, the product isn't hugely usable right now, and that's fine because we're going to work together on that, right? <laughs> so, and again, the, there's a role for data governance there in facilitating those conversations, right? Yeah, but putting out a stalking horse data product and say, hey, here's what we're trying to do. Like we've done the, the computation once. It's not live updated, but this is the, the way we're looking at doing it. So it's not actually useful right now. But like, is this what you would want? Um, yeah, and I, I think that's really useful. And I'll drop the the link to uh, Laura's book in the show notes. I think she was on the Catalog and Cocktails podcast recently as well. So um so, uh, you know, I know we're uh, heading towards time here. So it, we've covered a whole lot of ground. Is there anything that you think um, a good button to put on this? You know, what what would you say to people that are really starting to think about how do I actually do governance or, or the people that are in analysis paralysis where they're, they're scared of what governance means in data mesh? Yeah, I mean, I suppose different strokes for different folks, right? So I think if you're a business person sponsoring some products, my well, my my suggestion to you would be that technology is great and engineering skills are great, but fundamentally the role of governance is to go, do we really understand this data? Have we intentionally curated it? Is our product usable, right? So really think about that kind of up top. To the technical community, to the engineers and architects who who I absolutely love, my, I just, you know, your lives will be considerably easier if you've got some data governance and data stewardship people involved in that development of those products because they can help you do things like building in quality and master data management and all, all the different sort of aspects of good data management behavior you're going to need to make your product successful. And then I'd give a word of advice to the data governance professionals, which is don't assume that data governance in a mesh is the same way that you might do it in a warehouse or a lake, et cetera. The, the fact that it's a very different type of architectural pattern, decentralized, highly autonomous, et cetera, means, you know, your, is your privacy policy still fine? Probably. But the way you take that to market, the way you implement that, the way you've got to position the data governance effort, maybe less as a program, more as a continuous process of education and support, is going to be very different, right? And so you've got to understand the architecture and the op model that goes with that and tailor your approach to data governance to do that. And again, I, I recommend you check out Laura Madsen's book. Uh, I recommend you check out my own LinkedIn. I've got a little article out there about reinventing kind of data governance for a new model. So yeah, that, 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 that would, those would be my advice to different communities. I'll, I'll drop that link in the, in the show notes as well as a link to your general LinkedIn. But um what do you want people reaching out to you about following up with you about on this? Is it just to generally chat about 
data governance? Is it to chat about uh, data literacy as well? I know Carruthers and Jackson is, is very famous for the data literacy side. So what, what do you want people following up with you about it? Yeah, well, I mean, this is a sales plug, right? So, <laughs> but, but genuinely, I mean, look, I mean, we, we do a lot of strategy and maturity work. So getting your board and your business and, and those stakeholders on board with your journey for data, which could very well be mesh. Um, I'm personally really passionate about kind of reinventing our approaches to data governance, data quality, et cetera, for these modern architectures. So I think in this conversation, you know, one of the things that came up was how is quality different? I'm really interested in that. And I'm hoping to put out some more articles on that. So anyone from the data governance or data management community who kind of wants to talk about how we might do things differently going forwards, love to talk about that. Um, and, and I'm also just generally interested in, in comparing architectures, right? Again, to have involved in a lot of conversation around that. So, look, I mean, anything we've covered today, really, if you're interested, just give me a ping. More, more than that okay. to talk. Yeah, well, and, and you're also active on the, the Data Mesh Learning Slack. So I think the LinkedIn or, or the Slack, good places to reach out to you on. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mohammed, and thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Mohammed Syed, the lead strategist at Carruthers and Jackson. As always, you can find his contact information in the show notes, as well as links to his recent article on data governance and the link to the book that he had mentioned on agile data governance by Laura Madsen. Thanks. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.